Hello everyone, it's October 25th, 2017. My name is Soto Karin, and today um, we're getting down to business with Thomas and Jeremy. They're two members of the e-board of the new blockchain club, Blockchain Innovation Society. Um, if you guys can just introduce yourselves, tell us what you're involved in. Hi, my name is Thomas Shivers. I'm the director of investment at Blockchain Innovation Society. Um, I'm a freshman at ASU finance major. Um, outside of class, uh, I manage investment portfolios in the cryptocurrency space. And at ASU, I'm pretty much just involved in the blockchain. All right, um, how's it going, guys? My name is Jeremy Liu. I am a sophomore studying mathematics. Um, I am the director of the research and development in the Blockchain Innovation Society. In terms of off-campus involvement, I work for a local blockchain company called All36. And in terms of on-campus involvement, I've been involved with programs um, like IBIS. I'm currently involved in SimFund. Um, in addition to three research labs, so I'm involved with the Actionable Analytics Lab, the Luminosity Lab, and the uh, Blockchain Research Lab. All right. so. I mean, I'm pretty sure the focus of this podcast is going to be around the Blockchain Innovation Society, um, cryptocurrency and blockchain, because that's kind of like a hot topic right now. A lot of people are talking about it. Um, and this, I mean, I'm personally in the organization. I think it's a great organization and it's kind of want to promote it and um, encourage other people to get involved in it as well. So first, if you guys can just tell us how you both independently got involved in the crypto space and blockchain, what turned you on to it and why are you so um, involved in it? Yeah, so I'll, I, can, I can start with that. So... Funny story, so I first got involved in the cryptocurrency space because I wanted to start investing and trading on the stock market, but I was underage. And so to do that, you have to get like a joint account with, with your parents. And my parents are very, um, stay focused on school while you're in school, don't worry about any money that'll come later. I didn't really feel the same way. I just wanted to kind of make money at that time. Um, so basically they said, no, I can't invest in the stock market. So then I searched on some forums on how I can still trade something. and. I ended up on a cryptocurrency forum, and that's how I kind of got my first taste of it. I started trading it, um, just didn't really care about, I didn't really look into really the technology itself, it was just more like trading and learning that in, in, in that light. But then when I started reading more about more like quote unquote companies, but like the currencies that are I was trading, I got really interested more on like how blockchain technology actually works, and more like the development side, the more technical side, and that's kind of how I ended up in this position to where I started out purely in terms of I couldn't invest in the stock market, so I got in the cryptocurrency market. But then, kind of as that evolved, I got more into like the technical side of just the technology in general. All right, so my involvement in cryptocurrency kind of started back um, 2015, 2014, um, when I was playing video games. Um, I would play in these uh, semi-professional type tournaments, and I would get paid out in different forms of cryptocurrency. And at the time, you could buy uh, different video games for discounts, uh, like a 10% discount using Bitcoin. And that was just a, a cool side of it for me. Um, simultaneously, I was kind of involved in the stock market. Uh, I had a custodial account that my grandpa would uh, fund with me. Um, and then down the line, I was just about to turn um, 18, and I was about to fund my first uh, stock market account. And then um, I started reading more about the Bitcoin spike and kind of looked into that side of investing a little bit more. Um, so then I ended up funding cryptocurrency and I've been trading um, my own account as well as eight other accounts now. Um, so that's kind of what I do with my time. That's awesome. So 
If you guys can tell us a little bit about the Blockchain Innovation Society, um, when the next meeting is, how people get involved, maybe individually about um, your separate committees and what they do as well. Yeah, so the Blockchain Innovation Society is really cool in the sense that it, we take blockchain technology but kind of hit all aspects of it, right? So blockchain technology in itself is a very holistic technology that anybody from the engineering school, the business school, you know, mathematics, economics, you know, all these different, um, these different fields can kind of come together. So the Blockchain Innovation Society is more of an umbrella organization, and within the organization there are four committees. So there's a committee... Um, on investing, which is directed by Thomas. There's a committee on research and development, which uh, is directed by me. There's a committee on education, and there's also a committee on consulting. Um, and essentially how the, how the structure has worked is we have bi-weekly meetings, so we meet once every two weeks on Monday at 7.30 at LSE 104. And so the next meeting for that actually is um, this upcoming Monday. And That'll be our general meetings where we have more general lectures and kind of anybody is welcome to come. In addition to that, you can join specific committees, as many as you want to join, and those, they meet individually. We're still working on a timer now that works best for each committee, um, but those will meet individually, do a lot more communication through Slack, and to kind of get their work done. So I'll speak on briefly about some of the other committees, and then I'll let Thomas speak on his committee. So in terms of the education committee, what we're kind of looking for is you know, we want to educate both the BIS organization internally and educate just the world in general. So we're going to focus on blog posts, um, article write-ups, um, videos, maybe like Coursera type type videos. Just, just we want to generate as much content as possible that can kind of go out to the world and just benefit the world. Um, I think there's a huge, um, huge gap in terms of education for blockchain technology where a lot of it is very technical and not that many people are either interested in reading that technical side or um, interested in or can maybe not even understand it. Um, so I think there's a huge gap in education of how we need to reform blockchain education and so that's kind of what that committee is focused on. Um, for the consulting side, we're focused on kind of, at first we're going to focus a lot more on just educating yourself in terms of blockchain and then looking into um, getting local businesses and kind of kind of pulling in them for clients and then that kind of feeds into the research and development side to where once we get both those committees up and running we can consult with local businesses propose solutions and if they want to uh, move forward with building out the solution we have the research and development side to actually take care of that in addition for the research and development side we want to do we want to have a hackathon next semester as well as we want to look at um, contributing to open source projects um, we've, we're in talk with a couple uh, digital currencies like Gollum and Dash and maybe do potential projects with them. So there's a lot of exciting stuff coming from that. And from that, I will hand it off to Tom to talk about the investing uh, side of things. So the investment committee kind of focuses on the crypto market as a whole. Um, it's hard to judge it even if you've been involved in investment in other markets, say the stock market or a commodity-style market. Uh, they just move uh, differently and it's volatile. Um, it doesn't close and it's a global market. Um, so the strategy and the things that you need to look for, uh, they're not very comparable. So the investment committee tries to focus on those things in specific and then going back to just the roots of investment in general. So um, reading charts and stuff like that, but also 
reading stuff that benefits cryptos directly because like we were talking about the uh, the markets move a lot quicker than others because they don't close um, so the investment committee focuses on things like that we're going to host events like a trade-a-thon um, down the line where we're going to get a whole bunch of people together and kind of compete to trade against each other with a hopeful prize at the end and uh, just overall a lot of collaboration on day trading and coins in general that's great. Um, so yeah, it's an organization that I'm personally involved in, um, and I plan to become very heavily involved in, in committees and stuff like that as well. Um, I encourage anyone that's interested in um, blockchain or heard of Bitcoin, and you know, it's kind of like the big one that people might know of. Um, just kind of get involved, go there. Um, you'll learn a lot. Uh, you meet a lot of really involved, passionate people in the technology. So it's just a really cool opportunity that now ASU has. Um, so just kind of branching off of that. For someone that doesn't know um, what blockchain is, I might have just heard of um, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency from the recent news of it surging to an all-time high of $6,000 um, per one blockchain or per one Bitcoin. Give like a little pitch um, to, to those people. Like why should they care about blockchain? Why do they care about cryptocurrency? How, like what, what, is, what, what do they care as like the average consumer, average person? Why does it matter to them? Um, it's interesting you say that because if you're looking at it from a macroeconomic perspective, right, um, what, with what's going on in the rest of the world, um, you have a global phenomenon of unstable and failing currencies that are kind of, um, they're, they're causing havoc in, in multiple places, including exports and just overall uh, economic well-being. So now you have this decentralized platform that works as a store of wealth that protects against inflation um, and it's on the rise, right? Uh, there's still only $170 billion the last time I checked the market cap. Um, that's relative to, you know, multiple trillion dollars in different markets and this is a global market. So it's got exposure and it's got a lot of room to build. And kind of going more in depth on that on, on for the uh, technology side of things, um, blockchain technology in itself, you can consider it a distributed and decentralized database and kind of what that means is many companies right now operate on centralized servers centralized databases to where there's kind of one one point of fault yes like within companies they have multiple servers multiple uh, multiple data storage but there's kind of there's still that one company that kind of can get a fault when when if things go wrong and what blockchain technology allows you to do is it allows multiple individuals essentially anybody who wants to be involved in the network to know what's happening at all times on their own end. And it kind of puts that back into their own hands. So as Thomas was talking about, you know, it can benefit the currency side a lot, but there's also different platforms where it can also benefit. There's a cryptocurrency called Ethereum, which is a platform for smart contracts. And so you can consider, you can think of a smart contract like, like a self-executing um, a program. So. How do I how do I how do I put this in perspective? So you can think of a lot of businesses. Let's say Uber. What does Uber really do? Uber really makes a contract between the person who is driving you to point A to point B and the person they're taking to point A to point B. All they really are is more of a marketplace to match people and then contract kind of the agreement of how much people pay and kind of how that is all sorted out. And Uber takes quite a hefty fee for that. Um, and rightfully so. They 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 developed this whole system. But now we have, a, we have a system to where we can even displace that even further, right? Uber is all about the peer-to-peer -peer economy, but it's still very centralized in terms of they're the kind of the contract maker. 
we can even think of that more generally as a real peer-to-peer economy where there is no even Uber. You can do Uber-like interactions on code, essentially, on a smart contract, um, where the smart contract, the code, creates the contract between the people and it executes if you know you get to point A to point B. And you can see this with Airbnb or even financial institutions that use a lot of like middlemen. You can consider this technology being able to displace a lot of middlemen if they don't really add too much value besides kind of making a contract or kind of putting people together. And that's kind of the cool aspect of blockchain technology and digital currencies is, one, there's a lot of cool aspects of it now that we can see, but there's a lot of aspects that we don't even, or we, nobody has even had the imagination to even think of what could be used with this technology and with being able to you know, distribute contracts and decentralized kind of uh, processes. So that's why I think it's really interesting in that everybody should kind of, you know, you don't have to be fully involved in it, but I think everybody should learn learn enough to be to understand kind of what's happening and what they should look out for. Absolutely. So for again, for someone listening, um, just to recap. So like Thomas was saying, cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin, Ethereum, Dash, Litecoin, um, they run off this technology or on this platform called blockchain, um, which was explained by Jeremy. So if you want, you can kind of rewind and go back through it because I know it's a lot of information and it's a lot to understand in, in kind of a short period of time. Um, but for the sake of moving on to people that do know what blockchain is and do know what cryptocurrency is, um, let's actually kind of move on to the fact that right now, like cryptocurrency and blockchain, um, we can talk about all day about how great it is and how much can change the world. I personally believe that. I know you guys do as well. Um, but then the question is for the, for the listeners, why isn't, everyone, why isn't everyone using Bitcoin? Why isn't everyone using cryptocurrency? Why aren't we using that in every aspect of our life? And maybe if you guys have an answer to that. Yeah, so I, I agree that the technology is really good. But at the same time, cryptocurrencies in general is trying to replace a, a form of you know, exchange of value that's been around since everybody who's, who's currently alive essentially knows. Um, and that's really hard. Every nobody really likes change, um, and the fact that we're trying to displace that, I think, is one of the biggest hurdles that the digital currency space has to has to play against. And that's that's not even a hurdle that's specific to digital currencies. I think that's more of a hurdle that's specific to displacing something, a system that everybody kind of is comfortable with and understands. Well, they think they understand it. Um, <laughs> And I think that is one of the one of the bigger hurdles. The the other hurdle is in terms of currencies. You know, it's very volatile. All digital currencies are very volatile, and that's not what you traditionally see in a normal currency, right? I never worry that my U.S. dollar. Um, you know, if I go to Jack in a Box, I know, or I used to know, my one dollar could buy two tacos. Now, not anymore. It's like a dollar dollar nine, I think. Um, <laughs> but. Rewind a couple back a year, couple years ago, I knew that one dollar would always be able to buy those two tacos, right? Um, sorry for that analogy. <laughs> and um, the, that's the issue with kind of cryptocurrency right now is you don't really have that uh, insurance. You don't have that kind of security that you know your your one bitcoin will be worth X amount of dollars tomorrow, and or X amount of like items tomorrow. And I think that's one of the scarier parts in digital currencies in, in general is right now it's more seen as an investment or an asset in that sense and that's hard to be used as an actual currency. Um, and then Thomas, I don't know if you have any. Yeah, yeah. building off that, um, I think with anything, just uh, again, from a macroeconomic and investment perspective, um, when new markets and new inventions come into play, they follow the hyperinflationary S-curve model. So if you, if you base it off of that and you kind of look at where we're at and what we're building into, 
I think it's really understandable of what we're kind of approaching and what it's going to do. Um, mass adoption of anything is kind of uh, follows that trend, uh, whether it's, you know, the refrigerator, the internet. Um, so blockchain is just another stage of that, um, as well as what Jeremy was saying about how you can't really go to um, the Bitcoin worker and say, hey, um, my transaction didn't go through because that doesn't exist. So that, that sort of disconnection for a, a general consumer is kind of going to have to be fixed before we can really adopt something like this. Absolutely. And um, I don't know, I, just kind of building off that, um, Thomas talked about Bitcoin and about how there's no one really to go to when, like, let's say you lose your password or a transaction doesn't go through Bitcoin. If Jeremy, I know you work with All36, you want to give like a quick 30 second pitch or one minute pitch for, for All36 and for Dash and for that kind of stuff? Yeah, so I'll, we'll, we'll touch about the whole losing your, your kind of password yeah, yeah. in the normal sense for other digital currencies. So with the 30 seconds, I'll talk about, there's a thing called Dash Evolution, which, um, so Dash is a digital currency, and if I'm not mistaken, they're currently the sixth largest digital currency by market cap. And Dash is essentially trying to be a transactional currency. They don't want to see themselves as an investment. They want to see themselves as the currency to transact with. And they're creating a platform called Evolution. And you can think of Evolution as the PayPal version of a digital currency. You want to have the ease of use like PayPal. You want merchants to have features they can use like PayPal. You just want people to be able to interact with that. And in that same sense, you know, you don't have to remember a long public key or private key that most other digital currencies have. With Dash Evolution as the platform, all you get to remember is your, you know, username and password like many other things. And you can kind of interact with it in that sense, right? Because a lot of, one of the bigger hurdles in digital currency adoption in general is getting people used to the, the familiarity with it. And long strings and numbers are scary even for me. Nobody wants to have to remember that or even use that. And so Dash saw this and said, hey, you know, let's make sure this issue is solved. And they solved it with Dash Evolution. And in terms of All36, so All36 is partnered with Dash and we created a merchant payment platform. So a lot of people think, you know, if I'm, if I'm a store owner, if I have a, you know, a Bitcoin wallet, I can just accept Bitcoin, but that's not really the case. There's a lot of things that go behind that is taxation for digital currencies, accounting, compliance. You have to know your customer, make sure you're not uh, laundering money. There's a lot of like, Ben, there's a lot of added things that you have to consider. And so what All36 said is, hey, they looked at those issues and they said, we're gonna solve this with a payment platform for merchants to then start accepting um, Dash. And so that's kinda how the Dash ecosystem was gonna work moving forward is, you know, we have a lot of like synergies with, with different companies and really making them the transactional currency, not just a pure investment. Right, absolutely. And I think it's very interesting that, um, Jeremy, you kind of, the technical um, backend stuff, a bit more about blockchain, and Thomas, you're a lot more about cryptocurrency and the investing and the the economics part of it. Um, so, putting Dash aside for one second, and I, it's I think it's kind of interesting because I want to get both your opinions on this. What do you individually think um, is the most promising technology or our most promising currency um, for mass adoption? Besides mm, Dash, that's a, that's a hard one. <laughs> uh, that's a hard one. Um, I think if I could tell you the answer and be 100% confident, I'd be rich. Um, <laughs> but I think one of the one of the cooler things, I'll say it as one of the cooler things, and I'm not going to say a currency in specific, but I, I do I do like the idea of smart contracts. I think that's a brand new idea that doesn't even it's it's just such a such a cool idea that can actually now happen. 
um, that can help. I'm so I'm well, a little background. I'm, I'm really big on the peer to peer economy. I think that's one of the greatest. I think Uber, Lyft, Airbnb. I think it's one of the greatest things that have actually come in a while. Just being able to do that. You know, you see all the jobs that's created. You see how like the easy like the ease of use of just all these things that people normally do or people have time to do, and now they can just you know make money off that and provide value to everybody else. I think the peer to peer economy in itself is one of like the greatest kind of inventions we've had in a while. And the fact that smart contracts can really make that peer to peer economy even that much more powerful and really get really get you know the people providing the services more compensation for it and the people using the services you know less less fees when using those services that ability to make the peer to peer economy truly peer to peer is absolutely you know incredible to me and i think that's kind of one of the that like in itself is one of the things that i'm the most proud of and the most um you know supportive of within the blockchain space and just to add on that before I, I, I let you go, Thomas, um, it is kind of interesting, right? So, you know, rewind 15, 20 years ago and really the only services, you know, you have to hire a taxi to get around. And what Uber did is kind of cut out those taxi services to make it so Uber provides a platform for drivers and um, people that want to be driven somewhere um, to interact with each other and kind of exchange payments like that. But Uber is still the middleman, and essentially all these different blockchain smart contract technologies would cut out the Uber in that situation um, virtually. I mean, there still has to be some kind of network that connects it, but virtually it'll be completely peer-to-peer. And I, I completely agree with you. I think it's what, make, what makes blockchain especially, spe- especially special. <laughs> yeah, going off that and um, with what Jeremy said is, uh, you know, if I knew the next coin to make me rich, uh, I wouldn't be here. I'd be on the beach, right? But uh, <laughs> with that... Uh, and with the smart contracts, I think something that's really cool and up and coming, um, whether or not this actual company can execute it or not, but the idea behind it of supply chain tracking on the blockchain. Um, so Walton Coin is attempting to uh, use RFID technology, um, and they created an RFID chip, which is three times cheaper than the current chip on the market, and it's also small. Um, so with that, they created a competitive product that's already connected to their blockchain. Um, and that would allow supply chain tracking, um, which is a huge industry already, and it causes a lot of uh, headaches, and there's a lot of missing supplies already. So if you put it on something um, as manageable and as honest and transparent as a blockchain, I think supply chain in general um, as an industry would shift with that. So something that I'm watching is definitely Walton. Absolutely. Um, so then I guess going off of that, in both of your ideal um, situations or ideal worlds in the next 10, 15 years, um, or even further, depending on what your ideal cryptocurrency blockchain ecosystem's like, um, what would you like to see going on? Like, I know the peer-to-peer stuff, but beyond that, um, what, what would you like the average person and the majority of people to be operating on on, on these kinds of technologies? So I think... I think in the sense of like moving forward, I like the idea, like there's a lot of ideas that back blockchain technology that I think can be used in other, in other, in other scenarios. So let's say like the idea of smart contracts, the idea of trying to take out middlemen, maybe Ethereum doesn't actually make it, maybe Neo doesn't actually make it. But I think those ideas, now that they're kind of present and shown to the world that they can be actually made, I think those ideas will just kind of ripple into just every industry to where they see they see the ideology of kind of what blockchain technology can do and in an ideal world let's say they don't even adopt blockchain technology but they can you know take some of those practices some of those ideas and making their own processes a lot better 
and a lot better for kind of kind of the general well-being. I think that in in a quote unquote worst case scenario where you know if digital currencies and blockchain technology doesn't take off, I think worst case scenario is you you could take the ideas and kind of the the imagination that the space has given us and use those to better you know the current processes today. In a more in a world where you know things do you know go forward and come along, um, I think the currency. I think the hardest part. Of blockchain technology will be the currency part. You can already see a lot of banks, a lot of the big companies using blockchain technology privately um, and just kind of bettering their processes and just using the technology itself and not necessarily as a currency. Um, but I think the currency in itself will be the hardest part to capture everybody. And if it does go through, I think we'll be at a, we'll be at a spot to where transactions are there's and just in general like the way people live is just a lot faster and a lot simpler and just a lot more secure in itself. And I think that is kind of what I see if, if things work out. Yeah, building on that, what, with I see what, uh, with the blockchain revolution, if you will, is uh, 10 to 15 years forward, I think um, blockchain and cryptocurrency in general encompasses these, these new morals and cultural ideas of what really business is, right? It, it says uh, it deletes that middleman like Jeremy was talking about and it gives back to the consumers and the people. Um, and I think that that trend is going to completely reverse the business structure that we currently exist in. Um, what I look forward to seeing is the deletion of these uh, these banking uh, these people that are stealing all the money, the one percent. Um, I hope to see real estate uh, really captured on the blockchain and in cryptocurrency in general. I think uh, that industry especially needs an overhauling. Um, like we talked about supply chain. I think in in general though the thing that I look forward to most is uh the culture behind business changing to this uh transparent and uh trustable style that uh we don't see right now. And I wanted to add a little more topic that actually like um the founders of the BIS were actually talking about um yesterday is kind of what is the disadvantage like if you had to say you know disadvantage of blockchain technology like what would it be? And I think it kind of ties into this, like a moving forward idea of like 10 to 15 years, like how this, does this actually hurt society if it does? And one of the points that, you know, we were kind of talking about is the fact that blockchain technology within itself is similar to artificial intelligence and machine learning where it has the potential to replace a lot of jobs and like replace a lot of jobs that maybe the people, that's their only skill set. And now if, you know, they're in a place where their job essentially got replaced with technology, you know, where do they go now, right? And I think education on topics that can be used and can have anybody from any level join and then really learn a skill set that's valuable in today's society isn't up to par yet. A lot of it still, you know, we have, you know, we're moving in the right direction with Coursera, Udemy, edX, things like that. But I think it's still not as accessible to everyone as it could be. Um, some of it's still, you know, teachers from a background of, you know, they have X, Y, and Z experience and that's how they, they'll start learning the real skills. But I see that as one of the, one of the bigger things that could actually go wrong with if this, if the current, if the, you know, the technology takes off is we need a better way to educate people, um, to educate the workforce, to be able to take those people who get replaced by this technology and kind of put them in a position to where they don't hurt their own families, you know, it doesn't hurt their own livelihood and they can really go on forward. Um, with a different uh, with a different new skill set that they can go to the workforce um, as fast as possible right and I think um, touching on the workforce part 
I think that we're going to see a lot more freelancers than we do mm. today, right? So um, there's freelancer.com. There's all these different places that I've personally used um, for different projects and I know is widely used around the world, right? So like, for instance, I was um, I needed like a graphic designer for something mm. and I hired someone in Lebanon um, that they were making more money than they would have if they were working for a firm in Lebanon and I hired them cheaper than I would have if I was hiring someone from Scottsdale, Arizona. So I think that we're going to see a lot more freelancers. Mm-hmm. Um, that maybe those construction companies or those companies that block or those those middlemen that blockchain kind of eliminates might be able to do different types of work that kind of align with their skill sets um, that they can do on like you said like a peer to peer way um, where like I need help with something or I need help with something it could be kind of like a mutual thing. Um, do you have anything else? To yeah, add, Thomas? yeah. I think with that uh, something that uh, Hunter brought up that's a really cool point about cryptocurrency and blockchain is a. Uh, it breaks and it builds this barrier of the global inclusion. Um, there's no longer any country that's going to this benefit from investment in a foreign uh, sense. Uh, everyone's going to be on the same scale of currency. So in the United States, we, we don't have to face this fear of the dollar and the power of the dollar. Um, in the UK and these other countries, they wake up in the morning to check the conversion rate between the dollar and what they have because that that dedicates their buying power um, and that's no longer going to exist with cryptocurrency so something that's cool with that with the peer-to-peer style of things is it's breaking that gap of uh, global and uh, different people not being able to uh, compete in this economic process absolutely and I think it's um, one of the biggest things touching on the education side of it as well that people need to understand is I've talked to my own family about blockchain about cryptocurrency as I've started to learn more about it um, and the first thing they say to me is like moving from like the dollar to Bitcoin or the dollar to Dash. Um, and they talk about the volume of the amount of money they have and the amount of mo- the amount of Dash they can have, the amount of Bitcoin they can have. And it comes down to basic economic principle, right, of explaining that it doesn't really matter how much of a currency you have. It's about the purchasing power of that currency and about the purchasing power you can have when you're using fiat currency compared to Bitcoin or fiat to Dash or whatever it is. Um, but I think you're absolutely right. I think it's the education part of it. And I think it's definitely um, educating people that aren't part of our generation, right? That might not be in the ecosystem of college learning and college education that have the opportunity to be involved with Blockchain Innovation Society. Um, and I think it's really cool that BIS is using the education community to not only educate their own members, but also educate people at ASU and people in the community um, because that's extremely important. So before we wrap up tonight's podcast, do you guys have anything else to say about BIS, about what you're involved in, about blockchain or crypto in general? Um, yeah, I mean, if you are interested at all in any kind of what we talked about in this podcast, I would highly um, try to have you come to our next meeting, which is, I'll say it once again, so it's this upcoming Monday um, at 7.30 p.m. on October 30th um, in LSE 104, so the Life Sciences um, room 104 and so you know we don't expect any level of knowledge of blockchain technology or cryptocurrency so you can come from you know you listen to this whole podcast you got none of like nothing out of it you can come still and uh if you know nothing about it or you know if you're more on the advanced side you can still come and we kind of we try to we try to cater both both audiences but i definitely encourage everybody to come out um to that meeting and um, with that, thank you, Thomas. Thank you, Jeremy. Um, I really appreciate you guys coming on. Thanks I think it was a really us. insightful yeah, podcast. So and thank you guys for listening.